Happy Easter. The Lord is risen. Yes, he is risen indeed. Good to be with you today. Boy, you, you guys look good. Y'all clean up. Let me tell you what. It's great from my point of view up here. For those of you who are uh, with us today in Fairfax Station, welcome. For those of you who are around the world, we're glad to welcome you too. Uh, listen to this. We have folks worshiping with us right now from Kenya, from Mexico, from Puerto Rico, from Greece, from uh, Virginia, Maryland, D.C., North and South Carolina, West Virginia, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, Washington, Oregon, Colorado, Massachusetts, New York, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Hawaii. Good morning, Hawaii. Glad that you're with us today. Also, uh, on our Spanish translation channel, uh, from Virginia and Florida and Mexico and Puerto Rico, Happy Easter from all over the world to you. Happy Easter. We're glad to have you with us today. You know, I was reminded uh, at the last service that in, in, I'm Pastor John, by the way, just in case anybody doesn't know. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I was reminded just uh, at the last service that in 2020, I stood right here on Easter Sunday morning and nobody was here. The room was empty. And I proclaimed the Easter message to the, to the plethora of cameras that are scattered throughout this room. And I ended the service with a challenge and said that when the pandemic was over, or when it was at least getting over, and, which I thought was about 30 days, uh, that what we want to do is when we can come back together, the first thing we want to do when we can get back together, when the pandemic is about over, we're going to celebrate Easter. And guess what? Here we are. <laughs> so we're having Easter today, that's for sure. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and we're back, and it is wonderful to be in worship uh, with you. I hope you have your Christchurch notes that are there. Uh, you might have gotten them when you came in. Uh, pen is available for you as well. If you didn't get them and you're here in Fairfax Station, they're between the doors. You can even slip out from where you are now and grab them if you'd like. Uh, when you're online, you know where to get them. It says right there. It says uh, uh, sermon notes. Also, we'd love for you to let us know that you're here. And so on right in front of you, there is a QR code. And so we're kind of high tech here at Christ Church. So if you take your smartphone, turn your camera on and hover over your the QR code on the left, it will open up a uh, connection card that just so you can just type your name in and just let us know that you're here. Share anything you'd like with us, even the prayer requests. We pray for them. For those of you online, uh, the, the card is right there. Uh, the, the button is there for you to push. So, you know, I have to admit, I've been feeling kind of nostalgic lately. You know, uh, this is my 30th Easter with you people. 30th Easter as the, as the pastor of Christ Church, and let me tell you, for a Methodist pastor, that's kind of miraculous. 
actually. You know, and yet here we are. Yet here we are. You know, and I know that there are some of you out there today, not a lot of you, but some of you who have been with me for all 30 Easter's. Gosh, you deserve a medal. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. You know, and as I was thinking about it all this week, about, you know, this being Easter and actually this being my last Easter as the senior leader of Christ Church, the senior pastor here, you know, uh, it just got me thinking. I started thinking back about when we first got together for Easter, uh, we were at the cafeteria at Silverbrook Elementary School. Our first Easter together was in the cafeteria of Silverbrook Elementary School. And uh, we could have all met in my living room. There was just like that many of us, you know, just a little handful of the people of Christ Church then. And now look where we are today, where God has moved us from, from the cafeteria at Silverbrook Elementary with just a handful of us to where we are today here on uh, Ox Road in this beautiful place that God has made possible because of people like you. I'm just tremendously grateful to have been your pastor for all of these many years uh, and, to, and to be able to celebrate once again number 30 of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ together with, with you, the people that I love dearly. And, uh, and I just want to say thank you for allowing me to do that. Now, having said all of that, and, and setting it up the fact that I've been nostalgic this week and thinking back of how God has moved us from where we were to where we are, I started looking back in my files to see if I could even find uh, my very first Easter message to the people of Christ Church. And believe it or not, I found it. Uh, and I, then I wondered, gosh, is it any good? You know, I mean, uh, could I, is it even worth reading again? And, and so I started looking at it, and I realized, hey, that's not bad. <laughs> and second thing was, I started thinking about what did I need to talk about here today on Easter? Now, of course, it's Easter. You know, so the, the story is already defined for us. And, and most of us Christians know that story pretty well anyway. We know that story. You know, and I started thinking when I read the first message that, you know what, I, it was entitled, How Do I Know God Loves Me? I mean, that's the, that's the result of Easter, right? The result of Easter is the fact that God loves us so incredibly much that not only did he go to the cross, but he wasn't, he wasn't content to stay there. That he rose from the dead so that you and I may have life and life that is eternal, life that never ends, life that never fades, life that is promised to us beyond the grave. That's the promise of Easter. And so the, the, the message title was, How Do I Know God Loves Me? And so as I was thinking about it this week, I thought, you know what? I'm going to go out the same way I came in. And I'm going to preach on... How do I know God loves me? That is where we are today for Easter. All right, so, you know, if you could have one wish, what in the world would it be? 
that your bills are paid, you know, uh, maybe that your taxes are finished, you know, they're due tomorrow, right? <laughs> you know that, I hope. You know, uh, if they're not finished, you need to do them today, all right? Don't leave now, but right after church, you need to get those taxes done, all right? So, would it be that your taxes are done? What else would it be? Maybe that, maybe that you get a new job. You're tired of the old one, you just want a new job, or maybe that you're going to f- get married, Finally, you're going to get married. That's that one wish, that one dream that you got. Or, or maybe you're thinking, you know, what we really want is kids. We finally want children. And for those of you who have kids, maybe your last wish is finally, will they leave home? <laughs> will those birds ever fly? What is your wish, if it could be? Maybe, maybe for some of you who have been in a lot of pain lately that you've been praying that that pain would just stop. You know, if you look at Paul, and Paul wrote the majority, actually, of our New Testament, you know, what his wish would be, you know, and you know that if you just read some of his writings, is he, if he had one wish, it would be that, that uh, he would say, I want to know Christ. That was his wish. To know Jesus. And you think, well, why in the world would he waste a wish on something like that? Well, maybe obviously he knows something that some of us don't know. Uh, He knew just how much God really did love him. You know, and I'm convinced, maybe you'll disagree with me, but I, I am convinced that a lot of the problems that we have in life come from the fact that we just simply don't know exactly how much God loves us. Because when you don't know that, it leads to all kinds of problems. It leads to, to worry and stress and anxiety and insecurity and guilt and shame. All of that stuff comes from the fact that you just don't truly believe that God loves you with an unending, unquenchable uh, love that just does not end. And so if you don't get anything else to get this, you know, God loves you more than you'll ever know. He loves you more than you will ever know. How do I know God loves me? Let's get right into it. I've got four things. He knows that I know that he loves me because God made me. Let's say it together. God made me. One more time. God made me. That's how one of the reasons how we know God loves us is because God made you. He made me. Psalm 145, 17, look what that says. It says, the Lord is loving toward some he has made right? No, that's not what it says. It says the Lord is loving to, toward all. Yeah, loving toward all he has made. Circle the word all. If you've got a pen or a pencil, circle the word all right there. God doesn't play favorites. God's never made somebody he didn't love. You know what that means? He loves you. That's good news. He loves me too. He's never made anyone he didn't love. It means he loves us. He made us. In fact, Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14 say it like this. God is like a father to us. I mean, that is a good father. He's a good father. He's tender and sympathetic. He's not like some of our fathers have been, but he's a good father, tender and sympathetic. He he knows that we're but dust. I mean, if you look at the verse again, it doesn't say God's like a drill sergeant, does it? No. It doesn't say God's like a judge. It says God's the 
He's a father. He's a perfect father. The way a father should be, tender and sympathetic towards you. He cares about you because he made you. He created you to have a family relationship with him. He wants to have a family relationship with you. He didn't come to give you a religion. He came to give you a relationship. I'm going to say it again. He didn't come to give you a religion. He came to give you what? A relationship. That's what Christianity is. It is a relationship. It's all about having a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords through the Savior Jesus who rose from the dead. Okay, how many of you are parents? Raise your hand. Okay, now, be honest. How many of you thought before you had kids, boy, when I have a kid, he, that kid's going to be perfect? Raise your hand. Well, of course, no. You, 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 no, you're not being honest. Most of you knew, just knew in your heart, yeah, your kid was going to be different. You know, your kid was going to be perfect. Well, you know, that was a shocker, wasn't it? When it finally happened, and when you finally got him, that's really kind of a rude awakening, right? I mean, and here's the deal. You know, God knew every sin you'd ever commit. He knew every dumb decision you'd ever make. He knew every stupid thing you'd ever do, every hurtful thing, every hateful thing. And yet, he loves you anyway, and he made you. He knew all of this was going to happen before you were ever born, and God made you anyway. He still loves you. You know, and as parents, we, we make kids because we love them. But gosh, just think about it. Kids are messy, aren't they? I mean, kids are messy. I mean, they, they, they burp, you know, and then, and then they poop in their pants, and, and then they drool, you know, and they break things. Kids break our stuff, you know, and then they take our money. They take our money. And then they get a little older and they take our car. And then they smash the car and then take more money. But yet we love them anyway. Are we crazy? No, we're parents. That's what we do. It's because we're parents. And you know what? That's the way God feels about you. He knows everything you'd ever do, all the sin you'd ever commit, every stupid thing, every dumb decision, all of that, and yet he made you anyway, and he loves you more than you could ever begin to think or to say. You were made, now listen, as an object of God's love. Okay, so how do I know God loves me? Let's say it, because God made me, yeah. That's number one. Number two, let's go on. How do I know he loves me? Because he made me. And that God notices every what? What is this word? Every detail of my life. He notices every detail of my life. Now let's say it together. God notices every detail of my life. That's one of the reasons I know that God loves me. Matthew 10.30 says, God knows how many hairs are on your head. Now, I've got to admit, he's having a lot easier time now that I'm 30 years older than I first preached this message, that he knows uh, how many hairs are on my head. But the deal is, the point
point is that God knows every detail of your life. He's interested in every part. You know, I used to think that God was only interested, you know, when you, when you did something spiritual, you know. When you, when you were reading the Bible, then God's interested in you. When you're going to church, God's interested in you. When you're doing something good, God's interested in you. But that's not what the Scripture teaches us at all. It teaches us that God is interested in every detail of our lives. When we're happy or when we're not happy. When we're succeeding or when we're failing, you you know, when uh, the hobbies that we have, everything that's going on in our life, God is interested in all of that. When you are discouraged, he's interested. When you're down, he's interested. When you're up, he's interested. When you're discouraged, he's interested. Why? Because God made you. You know, as a parent, I'm a parent. My wife is a parent. That's how that works together. And we're parents together, and we're interested in every detail, intimately interested in every detail of our kids' lives. We're interested in them. Our daughter, Taylor, uh, just got married two weeks ago. There's uh, one of the pictures there. Uh, yeah, thanks. We were, uh, we were in uh, uh, San Jose del Cabo in... Uh, and the, where is that? Uh, Baja, California, sir, in Mexico. And uh, that's where uh, she decided to have the wedding. And two, uh, Rosemary and I had the privilege of both walking our baby girl down the aisle together. And then I gave her a kiss, and then I just kept right on going and was able to officiate the wedding. And so it was really cool to be able to do that. You know, and I, I've thought about that for, the, for probably 30 years, thinking, you know, will I be able, I mean, if she asks me, will I be able to actually officiate her wedding? Not, not can I do it professionally? Yeah, I've done a thousand weddings, but could I, could I actually do it for my baby girl? You know, I, I'm just thinking about that. Taylor is a, is a social worker. She is uh, with Northern Virginia Family Services. And my baby girl rescues children. That's what she does for a living. She rescues kids. Children that are being abused and neglected and horribly, unspeakably mistreated by their biological parents. She comes in saves these kids from that relationship to get them in a, in a family who loves them and cares for them and wants them and hopefully even will be able to adopt them. I'm proud of my baby girl. I'm interested in every detail of her life. Here's a picture of our, uh, of our family from 1995. 1995. Anybody recognize where that might be? It, yes, at Christ Church, in front of the old Christ Church in Cross Point when it was under construction. Do you see this? This is, this is uh, the interior of uh, the old Christ Church building when it was under construction. There's my baby girl. She was uh, four years old right there. And this troublemaker right there in, uh, in uh, his mom's arms is our son, Hunter. 
He was one year old in that picture right there. And uh, now that boy is in medical school in uh, Cleveland at Kent State University. And uh, it wants to be a foot and ankle surgeon. This is when uh, he got his, they have a white coat ceremony. And uh, so he received his uh, white coat right there. Uh, Hunter is in a long-distance relationship with a girl who lives up here in Northern Virginia. And uh, evident, we've not met her. His mother and I have not met this girl because evidently there are rules now that uh, his fuddy-duddy parents don't understand because he tells us that they must be dating for a particular length of time before his mother and I can wave from a distance to say hello <laughs> to this girl. But his mom and I have decided to play nice. <laughs> we will play nice because He's going to be a doctor. She has a high-powered job in Washington, and he, we are going to retire. <laughs> Thank you, son. So there's our story. We're interested in every detail of our children's life, seriously. And you know, when you're interested in the details, it shows you care. When you're interested in the details... It shows you love them. And frankly, you know, they are, we are far more interested, I mean, it's probably, it may not be this way in your family, but we are far more interested in the details than they're interested in sharing those details. <laughs> but we're still interested in the details of their life. And you know what? It's because we love them. And God is interested in the details of your life. There's nothing that's going on in your life that God's not interested in. He notices every little detail. And I know that some of you, because you've already told me, are going through some tough times right now. Maybe it's you're struggling with your marriage or you're struggling with your family, your children. Maybe you have health issues or you're struggling with your finances or problems at work or problems at school. I just want you to know that God's aware of that and he's interested in every detail of your life. So how do you know God loves you? Well, number one, God made what? God made me. Number two, God notices every detail of our life, right? And number three, God has what? Good plans for my life. Let's say it together. God has good plans for my life. There you go. God has good plans for my life. One of the scriptures that uh, I say, I've memorized, I say almost every single day of my life is to, to remind me of just this, this point right here that, that God has good plans for my life is Jeremiah 29, 11 from the New International Version. It goes like this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's my life verse. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. How do I know God loves me? He's got good plans for my life. God is not some cosmic killjoy in the sky waiting to deal you a bummer. That is not what, who God is. He's got good plans for your life. You're not going to hear that very often, particularly in our society. But he's got good plans for your life. Again, if you don't get anything else, get this. God always wants the best for your life. God always wants the best for your life. But here's the problem. Why this doesn't always work out or why we don't think that God wants the best for our life is because we think we always know what's best for our lives. Or that is, we think we will always know what's going to make us happy when in reality, God knows what will ultimately make us happy, but yet we go with what we think will make us happy rather than what God knows will make us happy. And when that happens, what happens in our life? We end up blowing it. We end up stumbling around. We get into trouble. And then we wonder, why in the world do we have so many problems? It's because we've gone with what we think we know will make us happy rather than what God knows will make us happy. It's a matter of not following, God, following God's plan. You know, here's one thing for sure, and that is this. When you discover God's plan for your life, you realize that you're no accident. I mean, regardless of the circumstances surrounding your birth, you are not an accident. God made you on purpose. And as long as your heart's beating, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. The problem is that the vast majority of our society misses out on knowing God's plan. They never figure it out. They never get to know God personally. But once you know God's plan for your life, you think, finally, this is it. It's right in my wheelhouse. This is what I was hoping for. This is what I was made to do. It's my niche. This is satisfaction. I mean, notice what, John, uh, what uh, Jesus says in John 10, 10 and 11. He says this. He said, I came to give life. Life in all its fullness. He didn't say I've come to give religion, right? He didn't say I've come to give you religion. He said I've come to give you what? Life. Come to give you life. Life in all its fullness. He says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus didn't come to give you a religion. He came to give you a relationship. Remember I said it earlier that Christianity is not about religion. Christianity is about what? Relationship. That's what it is. A relationship to God through the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. He conquered death on Easter, and he's got good plans for your life. Okay, last one. God, God, I know God loves me because he made me, right? He also notices every detail of my life. He also has good plans for my life. And here's the last one, is that I know God loves me because he forgives me when I ask him. Let's say it together. God forgives me when I ask him. Yeah, that's how we know God loves us. He forgives me when, he, when I ask him. You know, I've discovered, I think, I've learned a few things in 30 years. 
you know, being your pastor. And, and I, what I recognize now is that I think the number one reason that people avoid God has to do with guilt. I think the number one reason that people avoid God has to do with guilt. And I know that there are, there are some uh, groups of Christianity that just kind of specialize in it. Specializes in dumping guilt on you. And the reality is, you know, think about it. Is our natural response to run toward one that we believe is going to shame us further? It's not. Our natural response when we're feeling guilty or shamed is to run away from that. Not run toward God, but to run away from God. I mean, think about this. You, you're, you can remember probably when you were in elementary school. You know, you didn't want to hang out with the people who you didn't think liked you. Did you? I mean, I think we got counselors in the back for you if you did. What do we do? We don't want to hang out with people that we don't think like us. We want to hang out with people where we're accepted and loved and wanted. That's what we did. And that's, you just think about that. That's why so many people run away from God because they think that God is the one who is going to shame you and make you feel more and more guilty and dump more guilt right at your feet. And maybe you think that way. You think, gosh, I can never have a relationship with God because, I mean, what? Why would God ever want anything with me with all the stuff I've done wrong in my life? How in the world? I mean, why would God ever want to even look at me? He could never forgive me. And I would say to you, you're wrong. You're dead wrong about that. God forgives you instantly when you ask. Instantly. You know, I didn't mention this at, at the 930 service, but my favorite illustration of all time. You know what it is when I do this, right? What is, it's the what? It's the Etch-a-Sketch. My favorite illustration of all time. If you can imagine that, that God has all your sins written down on the Etch-a-Sketch, the moment you say, God, would you please forgive me, what does he do? He shakes the Etch-a-Sketch. And you're free. Forgiven. Your slate is wiped clean. For goodness sakes, what are you waiting for? <laughs> Let him shake the etch sketch of your life. How do I know God loves me? Because he shakes the etch sketch of my life. He forgives me when I ask him. You know, look at Romans 3, 23, 24. Paul is right, and he says, yes, all have sinned. I think, can I get a witness? There, yeah, certainly we have, haven't we? Yeah, all have sinned. Now, look at this. But now God declares us, got to love this, right? What does he say? Not guilty if we trust in Jesus Christ who freely takes away our sin. Let me ask you, 
Again, what's keeping you from a close relationship with Jesus, from knowing Jesus? What's keeping you from knowing God? Some of you were close to God in the past and, and have just simply drifted away. Some of you say, I just don't feel close to God anymore. Well, why not come back to him? Why not come back? Why not renew that relationship with Jesus Christ? And you, you may still be thinking, yeah, but John, gosh, I've done so much that he couldn't possibly, what could God possibly say to me? He'd say this, Isaiah 54, with deep love. What? Read, I will take you back. Isn't that beautiful? With deep love, I'll take you back. You know, I guess if you were to ask me what my wish would be this Easter, my taxes are done, so I don't need to worry about that. But my number one wish would be that you would really know I mean, not just know here, but somehow get it 14 inches down to here, from your head to your heart, that God really does love you. He loves you, and he wants to bring you home. You know, I, I'm just such a poor communicator when it comes to being able to explain this. And... Some of you have put up with me for the last 30 years of being that poor communicator who can give you every illustration in the book and yet somehow fail to tell you and show you just how much God loves you. It's, it's what he did on Easter. It was the ultimate act of his love for you when he pushed that stone aside and came out victorious. That's what he did for you. He loves you that much. You know, there's a scripture at the very top of your outline on the first page. The writer of Ephesians says this. He says, I pray that you'll be able to feel and understand how long and how wide and how deep and how high his love really is. And to look at these next three words. What are they? Experience this love for yourself. That's my number one wish for you this Easter. For that love is, is, uh, is long enough to last forever, is wide enough to include everybody. Nobody's excluded from this. It's deep enough to meet your needs. And it's high enough to be everywhere. You know, we all come to worship on Easter for different reasons. You know, some of you are excited about being here because it's a celebration of your Savior's resurrection from the dead. Others of you are here because somebody dragged you here kicking and screaming. And that's okay. That's all right. It won't hurt too much. But I think that we're, you're here today, not by accident, but for you to hear one last thing, and that's this. You 
matter to God. You matter to Him. He made you. He breathed life into you. He notices every detail of your life, and He's concerned about it, and He cares, and is aware that, that God forgives you when you ask Him. You know, He's got good plans for you. This is who God is. You matter to Him just that much. So I'm going to ask you, have you established a spiritual base for your life that is base, B-A-C-E? What does that mean? It means if you want to know Jesus, and this is the time to do it. If you're going to know him, know him today. Know him today. To establish that spiritual base, B, means I believe. B stands for believe. What do I, what do I believe? I believe Jesus died for me on the cross. That's what happened on Good Friday, that he rose again, that's Easter Sunday. About a billion people, think about that, more than a billion people right now, all around the world, are celebrating this one event. I believe this is true, that he died for me, and then he rose again. A, I accept. Well, what do I accept? I accept God's free forgiveness for my sin. I believe that he's taken the etch-a-sketch of my life and that he has shaken it. I accept that. I receive that gift of forgiveness that only he can give to me. B-A-S. What is that? Oh, yeah, I switch. I switch. What am I switching? I'm switching for God's plan for my life. I, wanna, I want God's plan. You know, I, there was a time when I was doing it all my way, and I, I recognized that it was causing me all kinds of grief and all kinds of problems. I switched to God's plan for my life. And E, to express my desire for Christ to be the director of my life, to follow his plan. B-A-S-E. Are you ready to establish a spiritual base for your life? The time's now. This is the moment to make it happen. You don't have to leave here on this Easter not knowing how much Christ loves you. And if you're willing to do it, let's, let's bow our heads and close our eyes right now. Actually, you don't need to close your eyes. Just look at your notes. Look at the prayer on that page with your heads bowed and your eyes open. If you're willing to take those four steps to make a spiritual base in your life, you don't have to pray this prayer out loud. Nobody needs to to hear you pray it. God knows what you're thinking. Just follow me in this and say it in your mind. Dear God, I believe you sent your son, Jesus, to die for my sin so I can be forgiven. And I'm sorry for my sin. I want to live the rest of my life the way you want me to. Please put your spirit in my life to direct me. Amen. And folks, if you prayed the prayer and you meant it, happy Easter. Welcome to the family. Glad.